Ukraine is so rich in the arts, in the, in the carving, the eggs, the, the head pieces, the embroidery, the, the, the weaving, everything. There were things that I wanted to learn and nobody knew because certain patterns in certain villages just disappeared. It wasn't passed down. That was Ukrainian embroiderer, beadworker, and 2014 National Heritage Fellow, Vera Nakunechny. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Vera Nakunechny has made the creation and preservation of authentic Ukrainian art textiles her life's work. And she's made her mark. She creates magnificent beadwork, embroidery, and weaving, probably best represented by the bridal headpieces that she's become known for, magnificent pieces of worn art that reflect a culture that almost slipped away. In fact, Vera played no small role in ensuring that the rich and varied Ukrainian textile culture remained vital in the 21st century. When Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, these artistic expressions were seen as pro-nationalist and anti-Soviet, and the consequences for creating them could be severe. Often, it was the Ukrainian community in exile that kept the traditions alive. After the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991, Vera took the first of many trips to Ukraine, both to research and to teach artistic traditions lost to the present generation. Vera Nakunechny has received many awards for her work, including a 2014 National Heritage Fellowship, which is the highest award that the United States gives to folk and traditional artists. I spoke to Vera at her home in Philadelphia, where she filled me in on her journey as a child from Europe to the United States via Brazil. My mother and my aunt were taken to the labor camps during the Second World War and my father was in a, in a concentration camp. But once the war was over, they met in Germany, got married, and then I was born. The United States was not taking uh, families with children at that time. So they went to South America, they went to Brazil. And my father knew someone that had family in Brazil and they took us in and they helped us. So that's how we got to Brazil. Embroidery in Brazil. How is it different? How is it similar to the embroidery you do in the Ukraine? They're not. They're not They're not at all. And there everything was stamped. So I just followed the stamped uh, design and my mother would look at it and she says, Vera, there's nothing like the Ukrainian embroidery. She says, in Ukraine, you embroider from the reverse side and the pattern comes out on the right side. And I was, all my life, I searched for that technique. So when I came to the United States, then I started looking for it. Who knew how to embroider it from the reverse side? Your mother, did she know how? My mother knew a little bit. She would talk about it, but she had a problem with her eyes. But she would tell me exactly how it was, but she could not show me. But when we came here, I found people that were able to show me and teach me. And one of my teachers was Eudokia Sorokhanyuk. 
she had also received the NEA award. She to me is like my mother. I always called her my artistic mother, you know. Now, how old were you when you came to the United States? Fourteen. To Philadelphia. And there is a big Ukrainian... There's a big community here. Very big. And when I just came in, I joined the choir. And shortly after that, I got married. Not shortly, but, uh, you know, uneventful life from then. <laughs> but I was always searching. A friend of mine and I, we would sit and watch our brothers and sisters, and we would sit and embroider while my other sisters were going dancing and going wild and, and all that, and here I am. But that was me. That was my passion, and it still is my passion. I always did different handwork, but then when I came here, it's a different thing. Then I immersed into the Ukrainian art, and I wanted to learn my own. You know, I love cultures. I love all the cultures, but I love mine and wanted to learn. Now, you moved from embroidery to weaving to doing beadwork, really moving through all of textiles. Yes. How did that begin to happen? One step at a time, I would assume, yes. but yes. what, what it, moved you in that it direction? started it with, again, with my Hutsul mother, as I called her, Udokia Surakhanyu. And I wanted it to learn the embroidery, which is called Nezinka, from the back to the front, in depth. And together with that, I wanted to do the skirt. And to do a skirt, it called for weaving, to learn how to weave. So she taught me how to weave a belt. It's not a belt, it's a sash, because it's like three yards long. We did the belt, and after the belt, I did the skirt. And very colorful. Colorful, and uh, the Hutsul region is very colorful. So from there, I learned how to weave, to learn to be able to put this costume together. Then you needed the adornments, the, the, the neck pieces, the beadwork. So... To do one costume, there's a lot to do. After that, we learn how to do a bride, a headpiece, how to prepare a bride for the wedding, which it again had uh, metal work that we did the adornments for the headpiece, for her forehead, and how to do the braids and how to do. So each costume takes to do its fullest takes a lot of steps to learn. And as I went along, I kept learning all the different modalities and becoming good at it. <laughs> Another pivotal moment for you was when you finally got to go to Ukraine. Yes. And that was when? 1992. What a moment that must have been. It was. It was a very, very emotional one the plane touched, I realized it was, I actually was in Ukraine and that there is a land called Ukraine. It must have always been like kind of this dream. It was. It was because we were always taught the history, the this, the that, from our parents, all the little nuances and, you know, how they grew up and all that, and all of a sudden to be there. My mother and my aunt, after 50 years, they went back home. 
words can cannot describe because the emotions that went through and there were eight of them and that reunion was really something uh so then when i did that i left her at the village where she was cuz my husband also has family in there and i started traveling to different regions in ukraine and seeing i was just amazed amazed through what i was seeing and what i was not seeing and we're talking about the art, art. the textile art yes tell me what you were seeing and tell me what you uh, weren't what i was seeing it was a uh, in the mountain regions people still had their old costumes their old embroidery and all all that in other regions it really was more like cross stitches and it wasn't what it was supposed to be but what it became the norm so that that really striked me as to how they assimilated to different uh different modalities and i got angry and my teacher who was there a year before me she was also very upset because everything changed and not really for the good and she says what happened to this beautiful art and what did happen to it well they adapted instead of doing a lot of the pieces there were pom-poms all over and some of it was distorted and it lost the beauty from the old time the authenticity yes am i right that because the soviet union wanted one culture they really quashed other expressions of distinct nationalities like ukrainian art yes yes a long time was if you did that you were many were taken to labor camps they were taken to siberia because then quote you were now looked at as a nationalist that's why it's really interesting that in some of the ukrainian embroidery they will disguise the ukrainian flag they will put a, a blue and yellow thread and will embroider a row with all that that they didn't allow but he still put colors of his flag in there and i think this is where the gap came from not to put their family in harm's way they would not teach and it, it lost uh, because of the occupation it got lost a lot of it so now thank god like for people here that that came and escape and were able to teach us because they said to us one day you will have to go back and teach and i just thought that was how ironic that is but yeah it did happen so hopefully now it's with this all this awareness a lot of it is coming back the stitch you talked about the the technique nizinka yes that was a stitch that you found was getting lost in ukraine with the young people yes very much so because the old people stopped teaching and the young people never learned and it it really got lost it is basically used in a mountain region 
And uh, when I went one year, they were looking at it and say, how is that you know and we don't? And it was funny, I said, if you get a piece of cloth and thread, I will show you. And when I came back home, I said to my teacher, you need to send patterns. And she embroidered yards and yards of patterns and she shipped it back. And she handed, single-handedly revived it, all the patterns and the colors and the styles and all that. Did you find that young people, when you talked to them about it, they had an interest in learning how to do it? Uh, yes, yes. It took off, and it took off so beautifully. And now all the old things are coming back, and they are redoing, relearning, and all that. So, yeah, it's just a big rebirth. You do a lot of research. Can you talk about how you do research? How do you find these things? How do you find people who can show you? Well, you literally find people and go to them. And one time I remember there's a certain region where they embroidered black on black, very poofy and things. I have very interesting technique. And my husband's cousin said, there's an old little old lady that knows how to do it. Well, we drove two hours to go one way, and we went there when there was no gas. So we really went in God's breath to get there, and we got there, and the little lady was doing, but she says those techniques are no longer being used, and I don't know how to do it, which was a big disappointment. But what I do is I have people that I work close with in Ukraine, especially in the museums. And we look for older people that still remember the old ways. And I go to their houses. And believe me, the, it is nice to be able to go and meet them and sit with them. And they're more than willing to show and to teach you. And the same thing was when I did this feather headpiece the woman just was more than willing to show. That's one of the pieces I definitely would like you to talk about. Tell us about the feathered one, if you can describe it, because it is spectacular. <laughs> the mummers. The Think mum. of mummers. <laughs> and full stride. <laughs> that headpiece, when I saw it in a museum, to me it was fascinating because it was big, it was white with the feathers, but yet the centers having this colorful center that they do this little flower in the middle. When I went to visit this woman, she says, oh, she says, you need four geese, the feathers, and just from under the neck. She says, because under the neck, the feathers are slightly curved. So therefore, as you're doing the flower, it curves. So you take six feathers, put it together, tie it, and do uh, six bunches like that. So you have 36 feathers per flower, and then you tie them together, and then it forms this beautiful flower. And there is 40, <laughs> 45 flowers. So you do the math. <laughs> you know, and the feathers a, are just some of the flowers on this headdress. Yes, 
sheets and then you do the centerpiece. It's like a little bullion stitch that it attaches to the wire and just for colorfulness. And again, that had about close to a thousand bullion stitches to do like little little flowers to do the centers. And the, and the front piece has its own decor. How long did it take you to do the feathered wedding headdress? Uh, I would say a good three months, about three months or so, yeah. Because putting those flowers together took a while, and then putting it... Finding the geese would take a while. (laughs) I brought uh, the feathers I brought from Ukraine because I couldn't find them here. I didn't bring any germs, no nothing with me, you know, the fear of bacteria and things like that. They were all washed and clean, and I was able to do it the proper way. You mentioned the belt and the skirt that got you into weaving. Can you first tell me how long it takes you to set up a loom? First, you measure how long you're going to need. So if my skirt has three yards, I am putting about four yards of threads of each color that I need and put on a warping board and put it into sequence. Uh, Sometimes you have hundreds of threads. You have two, three hundred. I'm doing a skirt now that has 1,200 threads. And you put that onto what they call the warping board. And that in there, you have your sequence of threads. And then we take it out and very carefully put it onto the loom, dress up the loom, wrap it onto the loom. And from there, we into the heddles, which are like the metal eye pieces, we put a pattern in and pull everything in. So you are talking sometimes to put a loom together, to put it out, depending on how complex it is. It takes me two days, three days. If the pattern is very complex, you really need to think on how you're putting in into 1,200 little threads all into those heddles. And the easiest and the most beautiful part is to weave. The weaving part is the, you know, you could hit it out in, in no time. A sash, if it's a plain weave, it could take me about four or five hours tops to do it. Yeah, and how often are they a plain weave? Uh, not too often. <laughs> not too often. I saw those belts. They are very intricate. Yeah. I'm also really interested in the embroidered towels. There's a wedding towel. Yes. That is, is very particular. Can you explain what that is, what the significance of it is? The wedding towel, especially uh, in KU Poltava, they are basically done in the red colors for the significance of energy. A lot of the things for the brides and grooms, they were done in red for energy. The towel has what they call the tree of life. And the tree of life is put together in three different parts. It has the underworld, what they called, 
which is your ancestors. Then comes the parents, and then comes the bride and groom. The ancestors have a pattern that runs under the design, and it is closed in. Then comes the above, where there's a beautiful pattern, a flower pattern. And in there is the parents. And then from that comes the bride and the groom. And they, they will have the birds signifying the, the couples. Because it's embroidered on both sides of the towel, it's never closed in. Uh, it's always room for growth. You know, that's why you have that big space. Normally, they are three, four yards long, the towels. They're used to wrap their hands during the ceremony. They're also used for them to kneel on it. And later, they will put it over icons and use it at home for that purpose. Now, when that couple will have a daughter, that daughter will take that design and built on it. Built her pattern, you know, do her motif, her patterns, her birds and all that. It's really intricate. Also, the wedding towel is known as their path of life. The cloth should never be cut. You could not, never use two pieces of cloth to put together because then meaning that's a, a severing of life. So the ritual towels has a lot of meaning. The towels in the Ukrainian tradition goes from birth to death. They accept, oh, sorry, this is, they will receive the child on a, on a towel and they will then cover a body in a towel. And so it has big meaning in the Ukrainian tradition. The Ukrainian tradition is so colorful, so complicated, so varied. I know you grew up in that tradition, but when you finally went over there and and got to see that country, were you surprised by that? I still am. I still am because it's like I said, when you think you learned, you didn't. When you think, okay, I got it. No, you don't, because Ukraine has 22 different techniques. And with those techniques, there's 200 of embroidery. And with those techniques, there's 200 and some stitches. Each technique has its own group of uh, stitches. And uh, I was like, okay. Go try to learn all of them. I know a lot, but not 200 and some. Uh, so this is where I still, I still can't die. My work is not done, <laughs> you know? When did you begin to teach? I think I always taught. I, I think that's in my nature. What I learn, I teach. There's a Ukrainian college, two-year college, Manor Junior College, and in there, there's a Ukrainian Heritage Center. And through them, I also have gotten a few grants, but we always had shows, and we would teach classes. So I, I think I go back to the 80s, 
and I just been teaching ever since. You had an exhibit, Looking Back to Move Forward? Yes. Perfect name. Isn't it? Yeah, because only by looking back you could learn and then move forward with it. And, and I said, what can I change when everything they did was so beautiful? It's so modern. When you look at it, it's complex, beautiful. Tell me about that exhibit. I think I had about 30-some headpieces that I put together. I did a lot. And then few I had borrowed because there was a lot of it was embroidered. But I wanted it to show that every village had their own styles. And I wanted it to show not only wedding headpieces, but also headpieces that young girls would wear. So that took me about two and a half years to put it together between the research and the making of the headpieces. So that was quite a bit. Uh, I became a hermit. I just sat at home and I wouldn't go out because <laughs> I had a due date. Yeah. But I was just so pleased when I was able to accomplish that, to be able to show to people our traditions. You've won many awards. Yes, that was so great. Including a Pew Fellowship, which is That's so, big. it's very big. And now a National Heritage Award. Yes. What does receiving the Heritage Award kind of say to you about the work you're doing, the path you've chosen? You know, the award itself is being recognized not in Ukraine, but in, in America for my art. It is big. It's, it's a big, I'm sorry. It's I'm okay. such a prior. <laughs> for me to receive something like that for the Ukrainian art is big. Not only for me, but for Ukraine. I said, I really feel like I got a gold medal for Ukraine. It kind of validates what you're doing. I don't do my art for getting awards for this and that. That's just the icing, you know, the cherry on top of that cake. (laughs) And it is beautiful. I'm grateful, in a sense, to live in a country that sees and understands and appreciates folk art, appreciates art. When I let them know in Ukraine that I got the highest award, (laughs) they were waiting for me to celebrate up there. For me personally, I just can't, there's no words. I don't know, how do you put something like that in words? It's very well deserved. <laughs> Thank you. It definitely is. Thank it's you. a it's a wonderful part of the American mosaic. I it, think it's it the really best of is. who we are. It I think really art is. is always the best of what a country yes. is. And you know, when I looked at other people's what they do and all that, I love art. And it just shows how how beautiful as you say the mosaic and we're all one. That was Ukrainian embroiderer, beadworker, and 2014 National Heritage Fellow, Vera Nakunechny. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog, or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>